Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the Roots and Roots show with your host, Greg Rashid. Bringing you history and music from the black American diaspora. Greg and his guests' goal is to root the show's information in your psyche, providing you the roots to expand knowledge within your community. Now here's your host, Greg Rashid. Well, I want to say good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you're listening to the program. This is Greg Rashid with another edition of the Root and Root Show, where we talk about issues from a black perspective and also that you always learn something, be it learning something about African-American history, me, it's something you learn about African-American music, but the fact is you learn. I want, always want people coming away from this show, wherever you are in this world, learning something. And a lot of folks listen live, but also a lot of people listen at their convenience. I like that, but they make comments and all, and I'm happy of that. And we have folks all over the world listening from obviously in the United States. And also I picked up some new people in Belgium, got folks in uh, South Korea, Thailand, Singapore, Australia, Russia, Britain, and like I said, the U.S. But a lot of people listen every Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. Mountain Time in Colorado on KUHSDenver.com, created by the one and only, the amazing man of media, Henry Archuleta. And I just want to say hi to all of my friends and, um, you know, just my buddies out there in the Colorado region. Hoping I could get back out there, but because of the lockdown and all this COVID stuff, can't do it. But maybe next time I'll be able to get out there. But I'm just happy to have my guest on here and, you know, just to talk about the subject. And I have to say before I introduce my guest, I was talking to a buddy of mine who's been on the show, Dr. James Brunson, and we were just talking about the fact that they're not too, you know, I really, as folks who listen to this program, they know that I concentrate a lot on the Negro Leagues and baseball and also just black history in general. And many times I have, you know, end up having folks who are excellent scholars, but they're white, especially talking about the Negro League. And I was just talking to James about that because other folks have commented about that too. And he said, well, have you uh, talked to uh, Dr. Brinson? And I said, was that, you know, I thought he was saying Brunson. And I said, had a relative? I said, no, uh, Dr. Sabrina A. Brunson. Need to have her on to talk about the uh, Philadelphia Dolly uh, Varden. And I knew about the Dolly Vardens, but I didn't know there was a book dedicated to them. And I said, I got to get this. So the minute I hung up the phone talking to Jane, I just ordered the book. And I'm just glad I did. And it is a children's book. And this is funny, after 21 years of doing programs like this all over the country. This is the first time I've talked to someone about a children's book, but this is more than a children's book. This is a history book. I'm just honored to have on today Dr. Sabrina A. Brinson. Are you there, Dr. Brinson? 
I am. Hello. Hello there. And you just do, I was going to give you a whole bio, but you do so much. I'm just going to say that, you know, you are a African-American scholar, diversity consultant, also a, uh, a voiceover person. You do a voiceover uh, actor, community activist. And you just, you know, and this book is the first in a series of books in t- um, that are entitled Strength Beyond Measure. And I'm just fascinated by everything that you've been doing and that you put this book out. Because like I was just saying, this is, you know, it's a children's book, but it's, no, to me it's a history book that any age should read this. Because this whole thing Dolly Varden is just amazing. And I want you to, first of all, Tell my listeners, and by the way, listeners, you can call in at 563-999-3479, 563-999-3479. And tell my listeners what inspired you, excuse me, to um, write this book this, uh, about the Philadelphia Dolly Vardens, especially, you know, a fact that's a subject that a lot of people don't know about. You really got to know your 19th century Black history, you got to know about the Reconstruction era. You got to know about baseball and, you know, the dead ball era and women's history. And it's just fascinating. So what inspired you to write this particular book? Well, actually, what you just talked about, um, I was actually doing research about the Negro Baseball League. And as you said, a lot of people really don't know a lot about it. And, of course, a lot of white scholars really talk about it and publish it, but it really is important to get individuals who have those authentic experiences where they can make those connections to do some of the research. And that's what I right. was doing. I was actually um, looking up and researching Negro Baseball League for the Jackie Robinson Day to make sure that we didn't just celebrate the fact that he integrated Major League Baseball, but I also wanted people to know some of the other amazing things that Jackie Robinson did. Most people aren't aware of those facts either. So just as an example, um, that first year that he integrated Major Baseball League, he actually wrote a weekly column talking about race relations and families and things like that. He was a part of a company that was designed to help African Americans uh, be able to afford houses. He was also a part of a company of one of the first African-American banks. So, again, I was doing that research, and in that, with the Negro Baseball League, I, of course, was really surprised to find out that there were three women who played in Negro Baseball League. So that, of course, fascinated me when you had Tony Robinson and Connie Morgan and maybe Peanut Johnson. And so once I found out Tony Stone. Tony Stone. Tony Stone, I'm sorry. Yes, Tony Stone. But once I found out that they played in the Negro Baseball League on the male teams, that led me to more discoveries about women's baseball. And it is so important for everybody to understand that the Philadelphia Dolly Vardens was the first professional women's baseball team, and all of the, all of the players were African Americans. So, again, not the first African-American women's professional baseball team, the first one overall. And so, of course, I was fascinated with that. And I'll also say that I was really honored that my book was published. It was released in September of 2020 because that was the centennial anniversary of Negro League Baseball. 
Hello? With the wire community, so and I think. Oh. Hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. I think I got disconnected. Yeah, it was my fault. The wiring in this neighborhood has been The wires are acting strange, and I had to call the folks to come out and fix. It. Okay, so are we good now? We're good going. I'm sorry. Listeners listening, but we're good to go. Okay, so I don't. I'm not sure if you heard um, how I got interested or not. What do you want me to do? Uh, I heard up until the point about um, you were talking about Jackie Robinson talking mm-hmm. about the um, three women, uh, Tony Stone, um, Morgan, and P- uh, Peanut. Mamie Peanut Johnson. Yes, and, and then so you- again, so one, so so once I discovered that, that led me to say, okay, we had women who were actually playing with the male teams, so that's when I started my research and discovered the Philadelphia Dolly Vardys. And as I was saying, I really want people to understand that they weren't just the first professional women's African-American baseball team. They were the first women's professional, professional baseball team ever. And all of the players just happen to be African-Americans. So that's another important point. Hello? 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 Yeah, there we go. Okay. And you're about to say about now. the women again. I don't know what's going on. I, I think it, I don't know if it's my side or just out and out blog talk tonight. Because there's some well, other things going on. Let's just try to push through. The... If we keep fading out, I'll just keep That's calling back. That's all we can but... do. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know what? You know, I got to say this. This is a subject that is not out there too much, and so there are sometimes there are forces that be that don't want certain subjects talked about. Sure. And, and some things happen on, you know, online and anything. But anyway, we're going to persevere with this. So as you were saying. Yeah, so as I was saying, so that is how I actually got involved with um, finding out about the Philadelphia Dolly Vardings. And you kind of touched upon it a little bit. It, uh, a white owner of the franchise actually formed that team during Reconstruction. And he did so to make it as an exhibit, you know. And, of course, his goal was to exploit the players. And that's where the name Philadelphia Dolly Vardens came from because uh, that was a character in a Charles Dickens book, and she wore loud, garish costumes. 
So instead of providing the Philadelphia Darling Vardis with uniforms, they actually had to wear red costumes because, again, his goal was basically to, you know, have people come out as an exhibit but to exploit them. But right. it's, um, the most important thing to know is that the Philadelphia Dolly Vardis really were skilled athletes, and we'll get a little bit more into how they were able to utilize their skills later. Yeah, because, you know, they definitely were athletes. And the funny thing, because I have – I went online. I'm, a, I'm part of uh, newspapers.com, and I always research on it all the time. And I was – and I just cut out some pic, uh, articles about the Vardens and. You know, and you talk about it a little bit in the book, but, I mean, it's, it's, you know, they were perceived at first as a joke, but I know in some of the articles, as you read sure. further down, like the Detroit newspaper that's out of, um, I think, uh, Iowa and Indiana, they talk about the fact near the end of the article that the women can actually play in their shop. Absolutely. And so, and actually, Leah, let me say that part that you are right in my book. It's a book of historical fiction, but I do have a lot of those facts in it. And that is what made me write it because that happened so often. Again, even going back to the three women who played in the Negro League baseball, Tony Stone um, replaced Jackie Robinson, but again, it was kind of designed of, oh, let's do it as an exhibit. And so, as you were saying, the white franchise owner, he really just wanted to do just what I said, exploit them by having them wear these loud, bearish red costumes, not baseball uniforms. That was his goal. But, as you said, the women were skilled athletes, and in my book, you're going to see basically how they were able to figure out how to actually exert those skills as the athletes that they were and to garner some right. of the respect that they deserve. Yeah, because, you know, it's so fascinating, as I, and I don't want to give any way, anything away in this book, you know, but the fact is you do an excellent job of how you weave in. It doesn't even feel like a children's book for one, and it does feel like a history book, and it's only it's not even thirty pages, but it's Thank you. so much history in there that you I don't know how you did it. You jam it in there, and you got mm -hmm. you know we also got to give a shout out to your uh, illustrator. You could say something about the illustrator because yes. these illustrations are excellent. Mark A. Montgomery, yes, and I'll even say that like you're saying, um, I understand you know we don't want to give away a lot, but for me it really is important for people to understand the value of the book. And so on the right. cover, the cover has um, one of the Philadelphia Dolly Vardens, and I was able to work with him, and I made a point of saying, you know, make sure that with the expression, she is like running towards home, and her expression is, I am a skilled athlete, and get out of my way. That's it. That That's is the, the expression thing. she had on her face, an expression of resolve. And even the way, and even the way that he um, created the costume that they had to wear, I thought was really, really, really uh, satisfying, and it's a great visual for the book content. Because it comes close to as I you to read the descriptions in the newspaper articles from 1883, mm -hmm. it comes close to that. Yes, yeah, we did. We both did our research. Yeah, you did a great job because I'm, I'm reading the articles and I'm looking at the book. I said, yeah, the same thing. 
Yes. Did a perfect job on this. And that's, you know, and that's very important. That, you know, just for someone to know that this, you know, this group of incredible women are out there during the end of Reconstruction. Because you got to yes. understand, you know, even now in the 21st century, there's, as you know, Dr. Brinson, there's still folks out there who make fun of women's sports. I, I sure, covered sports for many years in Denver. And I, I had colleagues of mine, I could say some names I won't, <laughs> who would always laugh at me and say, why are you covering women's basketball? Why are you doing that? Why do you want to you know, cover that? And they thought it was insulting for a man to cover that. And so and that still, it still goes on. So imagine in 1883, a group mm-hmm. of women coming out, a team, you know, getting ready to play baseball, the new sport of the time. It had been around only about 20, 30 some years. So you can imagine in the comments that are in some of the articles about them at that time, they're, you know, they're, Absolutely. They're, I mean, they are very racist, but at the same time at the end, they acknowledge that these are great athletes. And mm-hmm. the fact that they give the names of the women, that's what impressed me. They belittle them, but at the end they give the names, and that's respect. Yes. Yes. And, again, now over time we are going to make sure that they really do get their proper respect and their proper place in history. Yeah, this book is a more than a start to that. And, listeners, again, you can call in here at 563-999-3479. I'm talking with Dr. Sabrina A. Brinson, author of the new book, Beat the Philadelphia Dolly Varden. So tell, you know, what, as you were writing this, what was like the, just it got you really excited, like, wow, you know, I know it's a whole lot of wows when you read about the Vardens, but what in particular, like, said, oh, man. Um, the fact that they were African-American women and they were the first women's professional baseball team, that is yeah. what really excited me. And it excited me um, that even in those turbulent times of the Reconstruction, that they basically had the resilience and ingenuity to do so. And that is basically a, a theme that comes through with the book because we wanted people to know that, again, of course, they were intelligent women. They knew what the franchise owner was doing, but it was a way for them to do just as I said, I've got these skills, and he may intend to use it one way, but... You know, they utilize their ingenuity, which is greater than bigotry, and they That's utilize right. their resilience to stick in there to really, really, really be able to make a difference. And can you imagine um, how excited little girls were when they heard about these women athletes? And along with the little girls, can you imagine how impressed the little boys had to be? Because you just oh, talked yeah. about now how people are, oh, women athletes, yeah, whatever. No, so it was impressive to everybody. They really were inspiring role models. And if you think about it, so sure, inspiring role models for um, uh, other aspiring athletes. But also, when I heard about it, I envisioned myself back then, and I'm like, wow, you know what? I thought now they have the ingenuity and the resilience to do something like that that they really want to do, 
I feel like I would have been inspired to do exactly what I wanted to do also. Yeah, I mean, it really, just to see them do that. And that day, you know, keep in mind, in 19th century baseball, that's the dead ball era, and it was rough. Yes. It was not easy, you know, it was not sports. Not, that's you know, what I now. mean. That's the resilience. Yeah. You know, and I know in a couple of articles I read, I can't remember if it's in your book, but the thing is they talk about one of the women gets hit by a ball, mm-hmm. and she doesn't, you know, being sexist, the article was like trying to say that she didn't cry or anything, but she stood there. To, most men would not stand there and take that. That's and it's just going, in, you know, in a roundabout way that, you know, the, you know these were serious athletes. Yes. And an injury, you know, that, just an again, injury like say, that was that's what excited me. Mm-hmm. I was inspired by that. It's nice to know that generations back, you know, that strength and that courage and that resilience really has parlayed through all of our generations. And the thing to keep in mind, too, these were professional athletes. It says it in articles. It says it in the, book, in the cover of your book. Yes, professional. It means they were getting they, – they weren't getting – a lot of money because, as you said, the right. the guy that was running this, the white guy that was running, you know, that brought them out there, he got the bulk of the money. But they were getting something. They were getting paid. Mm-hmm. And in that era, you know, when black men athletes, especially in baseball, weren't some of them were just playing for the love of. They weren't getting anything initially. Exactly. And this team was, and that, that's so important. I'm just so, you know. I'm just glad, I just really am honored that you've written this book. I mean, it's really, you. you know, it's a godsend. And, again, i got to thank my friend James for suggesting that you come on here. Now, what do you hope, um, you know, I know some people, like, look at the book and they'll turn the page and they'll see automatically that the featured character is a little girl. Mm-hmm. What is your audience? Because it's beyond, you know, because I have a daughter who's an adult now, but, I could just, you know, as I was reading, I said, if she was a girl, a little girl again, she would catch immediately that this isn't just a little girly little book, but there's more to it. And what what was your audience? What are you trying to reach? Much more. With this? So, uh, so honestly, um, as I said, this book is the first book as, that is a part of a series that I'm designing to be used as curricula. And what I do, as you see with the Philadelphia Dolly Vardens, I write about little-known individuals who have made notable contributions to American history. Now, why do I do that? I do that because African-American history is a large part of American history. So that's the first thing that the books do is they're going to fill those gaps. And, again, the books primarily, when we talk about the curricular, are targeted to our elementary um, students. And why do we want to do that? It's really important because books that reflect African-American children are more meaningful to them because they make connections to those. And if a book is more meaningful, then, of course, I might be inspired to read more, which will give me more reading skills. Now, why is that important? That is important because reading is integrated into all of the other major content areas like math and science. And, of course, you see the history that's in this book. It was also important to me, though, to not just uh, use it for curriculum to nurture the cognitive development, 
The book also nurtures the social and the emotional development of children. It gives them a sense of self-love and self-worth and self-confidence and of emotional wellness. And so I can't stress enough that all of those things, of course, will aid the academic progress of our young children. And it is particularly important, when I thought about my audience, um, that with that it is so important for our children to have books like this because right right now there are four groups of children who are at risk of the school-to-prison pipeline. And that would be, of course, um, African-American children, particularly African-American males, children with special needs, children in foster care, and children who live below the poverty level. So, again, in the book, what I do is um, use that theme, ingenuity and resilience, because what the book is doing is telling them that when you are faced with or experience something unfair, you don't fight fire with fire. You fight fire with positive action steps that are going to get you to a place where you can achieve your goals. And so with that, um, with the book, too, I wanted to make sure that it was a high-quality book, meaning that it was well-written with a lot of information in it. And it's really neat because um, in the book, there are actually two big secrets. The one secret they find out at the end of the book because they discover who the mysterious woman is who's been talking don't, to the main don't say, character. Don't say anymore. <laughs> well, no, 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 just let me, who's talking to the little, the little, the little girl, the character, Shatasia. And then also, as we were just talking about, when we talk about how the Philadelphia Dolly Vardens were skilled athletes, they're going to discover how they put the franchise owner in a trick bag and were actually able to exert their skills. Right. Yeah, I didn't give it all it's, away, but I wanted people to understand that part. And then also I'll say this too. Now, it is important to say that with this series I um, and in this book, I have what's called an after story. And the after story is designed for rereads of the book. Because when you read the after story um, and do the reread, there are questions. So that allows for new discoveries because of the little clues that they may not have picked up on for the first time. And right. the other takeaway I would say is, um, yes, it is absolutely important for uh, children who are African American to be exposed to books with African-Americans as the main characters, but here's the other part. This is a big takeaway. It is equally important for children from the mainstream to be exposed to books that have African-Americans as the main character, because when they don't, then what happens is that's how they start to develop that sense of being superior. Starts very early. It starts starts very early, and people don't understand that, but it starts very early. And honestly, it starts early, and let's face it, it is cultivated throughout school. And honestly, one of those connections, that is why you are seeing um, so many times that the domestic violence that is actually directed towards people of color comes from our white males. Because what have they been told? Oh, they're taking away your power. So now, remember when they went, the guy went down to Texas or whatever, they're taking everything away from us, and that's why you're right. seeing some of that, because of that false 
sense of superiority that they actually experienced all through school. They were basically told by what? By the books that all of the children were exposed to, by the white faculty and teachers and administrators that were the majority in everything. So people may say, well, we value diversity in all of our students, but your practices don't show that. And so That's that right. is why it's really important for all students to really, really, really be able to have exposure to and understand the history that the Philadelphia Dolly Vardens and other little-known individuals made to American history. That's great. And, and I want to ask you this, because I used to teach back in the uh, 90s and early 2000s, conflict management in the elementary schools and in the youth prisons in Denver, mm -hmm. Colorado. You know, there's something that I, I know you, when I say this, you'll probably understand immediately. But in some of the schools I would teach in, just, you know, volunteering to do conflict management, you could either go in there and you would see the seating arrangement. Yes. Because many of these schools had mostly white kids and the black mm -hmm. kids or Latino kids, but mainly the black kids that were in there, they were seated either closer to this teacher or way in the back. Mm -hmm. And it's like I would always look at this and say, well, you know, this is, this is fascinating. You know, they're, they're, running, you know, they're running a serious mind game on a, on a little eight-year-old kid, ten-year-old kid. Yes. And I, you know, and I wonder if you've, you've seen that, you, you've picked that up. Yes, and again, that's why I, what I, when I was just talking about the school to the prison pipeline, that's exactly what that has to do with. That's what um, it is. And, of course, we do know factually that even in early childhood education, so when it comes to even kindergarten teachers, who the most, of course, are white female, and this is not a bashing session. These are just facts that they, of course, have biases against African-American males. Um, in the fact that a lot of times it's because they're not aware of the dimensions of being African-American and they're not aware of the behaviors of some of the things that are our tradition. So I'll just give you a brief little example. So, for example, um, I recognize and respect everybody's beliefs, but so there are a lot of African-American families who um, attend faith-based institutes. And in some of those faith-based institutes, you know, we have what's called call and response. The speaker, right. the minister, whomever, he'll talk and then he'll want you to respond back. So a lot of our children go on to the schools, and we're talking kindergarten. Now, I understand when you're in third and fifth and those grades, you have to learn how to differentiate. But when, you, when you've got a kindergartner who it, he's been reinforced, for talking out, or in our community, we encourage people to help each other out. But then he goes to his kindergarten class where now um, only raise your hand to answer or, you know, the teacher asks one child to do something and he goes over and helps, he's reprimanded for it. He's punished for right. the things in the school system that he's rewarded for in his community. And so, again, that is an issue, and that is when they start to be a threat of getting those labels. Oh, look how aggressive he is. He never listens. He's talking out. And that's what I mean about now they're at a greater risk for involvement in the juvenile justice system and also 
um, we've had 5,000 children who have had experiences in the criminal justice system. And so, yes, that is why I'm starting with the elementary children to really try to get people to understand that. So you have those implicit biases. You have the overt biases. You have um, teachers who will, as soon as they get their students, basically track them. Oh, you're tracked to do well, but you're tracked to fail, so I'm not even going to spend a a lot of time on you. And anything you do, I'm going to nail you for it. Or it is sad, but it is still true in the 21st century. Right. And I don't know, since I haven't been in the schools in this century, I'm no longer doing the conflict management stuff, but I remember when they used to track kids another way by giving the black kids and Latino kids who they thought were trouble drugs in schools, you know, Ridlin, you name it. A lot of kids, yes, a lot of kids, and and let's say, you know, as a disclaimer, there are some children who do um, need some of the medicinal support. Some do. That is true, but in general, yes, there was and still can be um, the overuse of medication. And that's that's scary, and many times, as I learned in Colorado, back during the time I was doing that work, a lot of the parents didn't know until it was too late that their child was getting some medication each morning. Well, and not even that, you have to think about, too, um, and this is why it's important that I would encourage all parents and primary caregivers of children to, if they're not comfortable or don't have a lot of knowledge as far as how those things work, to pull somebody into their social support network who does know that because Parents and children have rights, but if you don't know that, and let's say I'm um, the principal and that teacher and I want something to happen, could you imagine how unsettling or even intimidating it might be for the parent to go and they talk fast and tell you these things? And I say that because I have a master's in special ed. And so in my family and with friends, whenever there are those issues, they'll call me and I'll say, no, 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 no. First thing you got to do is ask him, now, what did you do to intervene? Show me your data. And then I also right. tell him, I say, you do know that you have a right not to give your consent if you feel like that is not the best thing for your child. That's it. And, we, you know, I'm going to have to get you back on to talk separately about the educational system because we could go I love all it. day with that. Mm-hmm. That's a whole separate thing. But your book could, I mean, the book you've written is kind of connects to all that, and I'm just happy and just proud that you're doing this series of books because it's needed. Thank you. And, it's, and, and again, I'm just happy that, you know, there's an African-American woman that's written this book and that's doing it that can write because as I'm reading this book, I'm saying to myself, I can tell this is a system. <laughs> You know, I already knew that. I can tell by the writing what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, again, and that's I know, important, too, that we have to have some of our writers who have those authentic experiences. That's really it. important also. And to understand, you know, I've had, you know, and, I, and, again, as I was saying earlier, I'm not, like, downing the folks out there, you know, the white historians and scholars I've had on the program over 21 years to talk about in particular the Negro Leagues, but – it's something one of us can do that because we see things that they don't. 
Sure. You know, and for instance, there are a lot of folks who think that the Negro Leagues were like, that we wanted to do that. Yeah, we wanted to play baseball, but there's a reason why they were Negro Leagues, and it had to do with segregation and racism. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's what I always don't hear, and I've had some folks over the years get mad at me when I say that. Because they don't Well, again, that. again, even though we are 21 years into the 21st century, people are still very uncomfortable talking about race oh, yeah. and bigotry, you know, particularly institutional racism and bigotry. No, they don't, they don't want to deal with that. Still don't want right. to deal with it. And right now I'm in a state where they just um, rescinded, you may know this in Iowa, they just rescinded um, teaching diversity in the schools here. They decided they're not going to put a book like yours would not be in the school. Well, see, that um, actually would be something that um, in our discussion, because, you know, you talked about the takeaways for children, that is what I would say should be one of the takeaways for adults. Um, right. The first thing I would do is encourage all adults, you know, who are involved in this to make concentrated efforts to advocate for children's books that feature African-Americans as the main characters. And I would encourage them to make concentrated efforts to immerse children in said books. Um, but it's also important, too, that we want our parents and other family members or friends to make books like these gifts to children during different holidays or birthdays. But it's also equally important to advocate for books that um, have African-Americans as the main characters, you really want to advocate for those kinds of books to be in school libraries and not just the school libraries, because we're talking about elementary. You also want to advocate for uh, the books to be a part of the classroom library. That's right. And, of course, it's also equally important to advocate for them in your community libraries. And I will say, I'm in Springfield, Missouri, and our community library system has been very enthused. They reached out to me, and we are actually going to um, do some activities over the summer where I launched my series, and they actually do have several copies of the book in every one of their branches. But oh, it is great. up to adults. Use your voices. You do have a right when you go to the schools to see. Really just kind of chat and see how many books there are about people of color. And typically what you'll see is a handful. And no, you absolutely want more than a handful. And even as I said, in classrooms in elementary schools, they have a classroom library, so you absolutely want those books because when children are done and they have free time, that's when they can go over and read those books. And again, what I said earlier, I want the African-American children to see positive reflections of themselves, and they also want children from the mainstream to read about um, these wonderful accomplishments of African-American characters. Right. And the other thing that you're forgetting, too, to have an African-American author write the books like you have done. Sure. Uh, yes. Uh, authentic, yeah, books written by and about are really important. And, again, let me say, um, a lot of people, when you start talking that way, they want to they hear that you're saying either or. It's not an either-or situation. No. For me, because number one, you want the book to be a great book. So it is absolutely fine for there to be books written by others who are not a part of the character, 
but it is crucial to make sure that you do have books that are written by and about the people because that's what we call authentic literature for what you just said because I've got insight into it because of my own authentic experiences. So don't, you know, I tell people don't get distracted by that either or fighter. Oh, we're saying replace no. And the most important thing, too, though, is you want to make sure that it isn't just a handful. You really want to push to say, let's have a well-balanced classroom library. Let's have a well-balanced school library that is reflective of all of the different ethnic groups of color as well as the mainstream. We also want to make sure that we have books that feature um, individuals with disabilities. We also want to make sure that there are books that are featured in different geographic regions. So again, we're trying to create an anti-bias library where there's no bias for anybody so that everybody will see reflections of themselves as well as get views into the lives of others. That's the key thing. That's the important thing. And like you're saying, having more books, because we don't want to have you know, a library that has just your book in it, and they, you know, the librarian is pulled to the side and say, well, you know, where are your black history books? Oh, well, we got, we got Dr. Brinson. Well, where are right. the other ones? Well, that's enough. We got one. Right, exactly. You don't want that. You don't want that. But I'm just, you know, again, I'm just happy to have you on here today. I really appreciate, again, that you've written this book. And if anyone Thank wants you. to reach you, you have a web, tell them your website, because I did go on that to look, you know, look at okay, you know, your the website you. is the website is www.drbrinsonbrand.com. You know, and again, I just want to thank you for coming on. I, I don't want, you know, I want to ask you what your next book is, but I know that you want to keep that kind of a secret for now. Yes, <laughs> it is a secret. <laughs> All right. Anything about the Negro Leagues or anything, or are you going to do something completely different? Something completely different. Well, you know, if I had put this out there, because no one has written a book. They've written about Mimi Johnson. I met her many years ago. They've written mm-hmm. about Tony Stone. No one has mm-hmm. written from what I've seen on Connie Morgan at all. I have no comment at this time. So I'm just saying, I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. But again, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Brinson. I hope to have you back on again. I wish you so much success with this book. Oh, by the way, and I want to ask you too, how, what has been the, um, the comments you've been getting about the book? Um, basically surprised, amazed, and gratitude for sharing the story. Most people, of course, did not know they had never heard of the Philadelphia Darley Vardens and really did not know that they were the first women's professional baseball team. So that, you know, has been the biggest comment. Oh, my gosh, I didn't even know anything about this. And so, again, that is what my series is going to do. It's going to yeah. highlight little-known individuals who've done amazing things. And what are the historians saying to you? The, you know, the baseball historians, have they come to you or? Um, actually, I was actually um, on a show with the uh, International Women's Professional Conference, and they actually have really welcomed me with open arms. Yes, I got Great. a call from um, 
one of the members who said, would you be willing to come on? And so, yeah, I did a blog with them, and they were really excited and pleased about it. And then we also did kind of a national uh, call-in question type of a session. So I will say that that is something that is changing. You really do have people who understand how important it is to have these authentic stories told by people who have the experiences. They really are welcoming those opportunities. Now, of course, you have some who are going to kick and resist and whine about it. Oh, yeah. But for the most part, people are like, wow, thank you, because not only um, did you write about the history of that, the way you put it, I was really kind of able to get some insight into what the women themselves were experiencing and the challenges that they faced. And you did, you know, you did a great, great job of that. I really appreciate you being on today. Thank you so much. I'm going to ask you to come back on again and talk about some other things as far as history and hope, uh, education, and also hopefully when the next book comes out, I can have you back on. So thank you Absolutely. so much, Dr. Brinson. You take care. Thank you for Be having safe. me. Take care. Bye-bye. And again, that was Dr. Sabrina A. Brinson author of the new book on Treehouse Press. This is Meet the Philadelphia Dolly Barton. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Again, I got to apologize. I had a little problem with the wires out here. I don't know what's going on, but you got the gist of the program. That's the main thing. That's what I always want. And I know some of you out there who've told me on Facebook and other places you've listened in, you wanted to call and you had the opportunity to call, so don't call me now and ask me questions when you should have asked uh, Dr. Brinson, but she gave her um, website and all, so you can get a hold of her there. But get the book. Get the book. Meet the Philadelphia Dolly Varden. And I think I'll play some music right now before I get off here. I'm going to do, I think I'm going to do Our Native Daughters, and I'm going to do Better get you some learning here on the Root and Root Show.
Do what I have to do And call me by my name I 
through the song, singing through it sometime, but that was a, went down to Jamaica with Queen Africa stole her eye, and that was Lioness on the Rise, and before that we went to Britain with the great saxophonist Nubia Garcia and Stand With Each Other, and we started to set off on the Root and Root Show with Our Native Daughters and Better Get Your get your Learning, and Our Native Daughters, yes, if you, some of you know, that was uh, Rahana Gideon's great banjo player, along with uh, Amethyst Kill, Leah McCullough, and Allison Russell, 
And that, I mean, they are amazing. That came out in 2019 on the Smithsonian Folkways label, and they, it's just amazing. You know, four banjo playing young African American women. They can, I mean, they can play. They play a little bit of everything, but it's all roots music. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed all the music I played today on the Root and Root Show, as well as uh, my guests. I really enjoy. I could have gone all day talking to my guests. Uh, Dr. Sabrina A. Brinson, author of the book, Meet the Philadelphia Dolly Varden, and it's inspired by the first African-American women's professional baseball team. And I just hope, you know, I always hope on the show that once you hear about a subject, that you go out there, you know, buy the book, but also do your own research just to learn even more, because this is an excellent little book for anyone, not just for children, as I said, for anyone, because you'll get some knowledge out of it. 26 pages of great, great pictures in there, illustrations. Uh, the illustrator, we didn't even mention the illustrator's name, but he's Mark uh, Montgomery. So check out this book, Meet the Philadelphia Dolly Vardens. But, again, we'll get out of here right now. And, again, as I always say, you know, we're all going through this pandemic right now. No matter what you may feel about this, no matter your opinion about Wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, getting vaccinated or not vaccinated, you're affected. You're affected no matter what. And so do what you can to help someone in need, especially a senior in your community who may need someone to do everything from mow their lawn, depends on where you are in this world, shovel snow, pick up trash, do laundry for them, go get food, or just knock on their door at their house, at their apartment condo, wherever they are, just see how they're doing. Keep their social distancing. But ask how they're doing just to see what's going on because they'll really appreciate that, and you'll appreciate that by helping them. Also, I always ask if you, because all and our children are still not in school, but if you can help a child in your community, you know that doesn't have a computer, a tablet, or a laptop, and you can donate or buy one for that child, and if you could pay partly of all of their Wi-Fi to get them going so they can continue their education, that would be great. That would be greatly appreciated. So you can do it because we all got to do our part. We got to bring some positiveness into wherever you are in this world. So please do that. That would be really greatly appreciated, and you'll just feel so good. You'll just feel so good. But, again, this is Greg Rasheed with the Root and Root Show. And if you've got any requests for future folks to appear on the show, because I take requests, you know, like I said, I got uh, Dr. Brinson on because a friend of mine just asked me, you know, could I get her on? I said, sure. When I learned more, I said, yeah, sure thing. So if you have anyone, let me know. You can go to my Facebook site, Greg, G-R-E-G, last name Rashid, R-A-S-H-E-E-D. And hope to see you on there. As I've seen that many folks just asking me things. I really appreciate that. But again, this is Greg Rashid. Go in love, go in peace. We'll see you next time on the Root and Root Show. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. And remember, spread the knowledge, share the power.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.